0: If you would turn with me in your Bible to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. We are beginning the study of 2 Timothy this evening. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Blessed you guys are here on a Wednesday night to study the Bible. There's power in God's word. I know he's got a message for us out of this chapter and I pray that you're encouraged and blessed. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that's in your word and that it reveals who you are to us. We thank you that you're our father. You're our good father. We want to take a moment to wait upon you and to draw near to to you. In the midst of a busy day, we want to hear your voice. God, we pray that you would provide encouragement where it's needed. You'd also provide correction where it's needed. That you would stir up within us those gifts that you have given to us. That you would take from us the spirit of fear and replace it. The spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. So give this time to you, Jesus. We pray that you would bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Paul's last epistle. When we follow his life, he had two imprisonments in Rome. The first is at the end of the book of Acts, where he's under house arrest. That's where we find the end of the biblical account of the life of Paul. Church history tells us that he was freed from that house arrest, went on another missionary journey, probably Spain, came back to Rome where he was arrested again, placed this time not under house arrest, but put into a dungeon, in this dungeon, he then is beheaded. He is executed. Coming up into the days of his execution, he writes this letter to Timothy around AD 67. So it's a the very last of his epistles. We've been going through the New Testament now for some time, and you remember the letter to the Romans. You remember Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and, and now coming to the end of the life of Paul, he's thinking of his young protege, his son in the faith, Timothy, and he writes this letter. I love Second Timothy because the tone is very personal. I mean, you, you picture a father with a son at the very end of his life, passing on the things that are dear to him, passing the things that are important to him, and that's what we find in this letter. We also find the memoirs of a life that's lived well under the Lord. In chapter 4, Paul writes and he says, I've fought the good fight, I have finished the race. Now, not that Paul was perfect, but we see him ending his life well, more in love with Jesus Christ than he'd ever been before. If you've studied the Old Testament, you know that with a lot of the kings, it's very difficult for them to end well. A lot of times their, their lives didn't end on that note of being faithful unto the Lord. And I don't know what it is, but I, I think we see that a lot in society, don't we? Is is there's an art to, to finishing well, to pressing into that relationship with the Lord? It's not necessarily how we started or where we've fallen short, where we've sinned or made mistakes, but are we getting up and pressing into our relationship with the Lord. So I hope that you're blessed as we go through this study in the next few weeks. The theme of chapter one is unashamed. Timothy seems to be going through a very difficult time. You would expect Paul to be the one who's going through the difficulty. He's in the dungeon facing execution, but he's experiencing the joy of the Lord. Where Timothy is in fear, he's in tears, he's in timidity, And he's being encouraged and challenged by Paul to be unashamed. So we're going to see four areas that we're to be unashamed in this evening. So verse 1 of of chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now, Timothy knows this. He understands this about his father in the faith that Paul is an apostle. But once again, he's reminding Timothy that this was God's will for my life. Isn't it wonderful to know that you're in God's will uh, for your life? that can be a very difficult question to answer. Sometimes I think we overcomplicate it. You know, we go, well, is it God's will for me to be in this job or that job or to live in this house or drive that car? But God tells us that his will is that we would be thankful. Tonight, if you're thankful in Christ Jesus, you're in the will of God. Also, we know from the word of God that to be sexually pure is the will of God, to know how to sanctify your vessel for honor in that area. So if you're walking in sexual integrity tonight, you're in the will will of God. So sometimes we make the will of God very complex, but to summarize it, it's to be in love with the Lord, to be faithful with the Lord, to be walking with the Lord. And Paul here in this dungeon says, this is exactly where God wants me to be. This is by the will of God. According to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Moments, days away from his execution. Speaking of the promise of life, it's eternal life. It's to know that he's going to go home to be with the Lord. Tonight, we celebrate the promise of life that's in Jesus Christ. Right here, tonight. The best thing going in our lives is Jesus Christ. Amen? He provides life right now provides it more abundantly and he provides eternal life. Anything outside of Christ, when we're looking for fulfillment outside of Christ, there's no life. But in Christ is life. It's the promise of life. To Timothy, a beloved son. He reminds Timothy, you're my beloved son. As we look at our lives, I think one of the most important things is to have Timothys in the faith. What do I mean by that? Those that are younger those that maybe haven't walked with the Lord as long. If you've walked with the Lord for five years, there's someone who's walked with the Lord for three years. If you've walked with Christ for two years, there's someone who's walked with Christ with two months. But this really speaks of Paul's personal investment in someone else, in Timothy. Not everyone can be a son or a daughter in the faith, but there will be a few people over the course of your life that God leads you to pour your life into they're a sponge, they're willing to receive, and I believe on our deathbeds like Paul, that's what we'll find to be valuable. Paul did a lot of great things for the Lord. God used him in incredible ways. He planted so many churches, but what's on his heart at the end of his days? It's Timothy, this young man that means so much to him that he's passing the baton of ministry too. It's relationship. It shows us the example of the family of God inside of the body of Christ. That we can have such close bonds with one another that we could express these kind of words that you're a beloved son. Paul and Timothy are not biological father and son, but in Christ there's this tremendous bond that's between the two of them. Also, I think it's a reminder to express love to the ones that you care for. Timothy knows this. This isn't the first time that Timothy has heard this from Paul, but Paul's reminding him, hey, you're a beloved son to me. How treasured was this letter to Timothy after Paul passed away? Uh, I'm never getting tired of reading this, you know. I'm beloved. I'm cared for. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's traditional greetings, grace and peace, Grace being the Greek greeting. Peace, shalom, being the Hebrew greeting. But here he inserts mercy. If you notice in his letters, he only includes mercy to Timothy and Titus. Why? Because they're sons in the faith. (laughs) Because he's extra close to these boys. The closer you get to someone, the more mercy that you need to extend to them. He very wisely extends mercy to Timothy. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. Can you say that tonight, that your conscience is pure before the Lord? Not perfection, but that you've got a clear account before God. There's no skeletons in the closet, not hiding from God or hiding from people. Here, Paul, at the end of his life, he says, my conscience is pure. And at times when our conscience is convicted, when our Conscience is pricked by the Holy Spirit that we'd get things right with the Lord and get things right with others. And here Paul's saying, I serve God with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. There's those that have gone before us. There's those that have gone before Paul and their lives are an encouragement that it can be done. The cloud of witnesses. We're one of many that have passed from this life into eternity. He says, and without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. What would you write if you were in a dungeon? Hey, this is how it smells. This is how it feels. It's extremely cold. The food is terrible. But instead, he says, I'm praying for you night and day. He took his prison and he used it as an opportunity for prayer. No grumbling, no complaining. No, this is the worst ever simply says, I'm remembering you in prayer day and night, many sleepless nights, uncomfortable afternoons. Do you find yourself in a prison this evening? Is it a job situation? Is it some living situation? Some trial, some difficulty, some physical challenge, infirmity? Say, okay, God, I could get bitter, or I could turn to you and use this prison as an opportunity to pray. Some of you might be saying tonight, I wish I had a Paul in my life. I wish I had someone who is praying for me night and day. You have someone greater than Paul, and that's Jesus Christ. He says he ever lives to make intercession for you. Just as Paul says to Timothy, I love you, you're my beloved son, he expresses that love through prayer. I'm convinced this is one of the greatest things that we can do for those that we love. Pray for them. Pray for them night and day. Lift them up to the Lord. There's power in prayer. Timothy needs encouragement. That source of encouragement is going to come through prayer. Verse 4, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. We don't know why Timothy is filled with tears. Probably because of Paul's condition of being in prison in a dungeon facing death. That would cause heartache to Timothy. But there also seems to be a a crisis that's happening in Timothy when it comes to his service to God, his ministry, the gifts that God had given to him, his calling to be a pastor. Those gifts have become dormant. Timothy's struggling and serving the Lord, and that can be part of the tears as well. And Paul says, oh, I wish that I could come and see you. I'm mindful of your tears, and if I saw you, I would be filled with joy. He remembers about Timothy's life. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that's in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. Timothy's father was a Greek. His mom was a Jew, a Jew who believed in Christ as her Savior. We have no record of any faith from from his dad. His spiritual influence about Christ comes from his grandmother and his mother. And what's said of their faith is it's sincere, it's genuine. The best way to pass on our faith, especially to our kids, is to have something that's genuine, to have something that's authentic and sincere with the Lord, a sincere trust and faith in the gospel, a trust in God in the difficulties of our lives. I had a password day today. Have you ever had those where you can't remember your password or you've got to update a password. It was it was crisis in my life trying to get to that sincere genuine password. Came to all my Apple devices with my Apple ID and then had to change my Apple ID password because I hardly ever use it. Then that affected My phone and my iPad and all these these different things and they make it even harder and harder once you put in the new password then you have to get the verification number from your phone it texts you and says are you gonna allow this and you get the verification code for some reason it was saying someone's trying to access your account from Maryland it's like well I'm not in Maryland I'm in Colorado Springs so I should say don't allow but it turns out it was me in Colorado Springs like the devices are supposed to be smart, but sometimes they're stupid. You know, they, they really are. So I finally said allow, then I got the verification code. And all just to get to that sincere, that authentic password. And that's so important when it comes to our devices, but much more so in our relationship with God, that it's sincere. That We're, we're trusting in God. We're walking with the Lord. Our, our kids know us, don't they? And that's, that's the humbling part. They really know us, and they see our shortcomings, they see our flaws, but hopefully they see our love for Jesus and our dependency upon Christ, and that passed. It passed from Lois to Eunice and then to Timothy. Some of you tonight may be in the place where you say, my spouse doesn't know the Lord. Be encouraged. It was enough for Timothy. His mom and his grandma was enough in his life because Christ is enough. You may be a single parent, and you're trying to do this by yourself, and you're thinking, man, there's something deficient in the life of my child, especially spiritually, because they don't have this. Well, look at Timothy. I think all of us would say we would love to have a child like Timothy that's serving the Lord in this way. So be encouraged. God is enough. He's sufficient. And your children will see your faith and, and trust in the Lord. I think there's something here for grandparents in verse 5. Lois impacted Eunice and also impacted Timothy. Legacy. Grandparents, you have the unique opportunity to impact your grandkids. Special relationship between grandparents and, and grand, grandchildren. You've got to love it, right? Because you get to spoil them and send them home you're not the disciplinarian. Kids tend to listen to their grandparents in another way and take that opportunity to share with them who Jesus Christ is. When they come to your house, spoil them, love on them, open up the scriptures with them, read to them out of a toddler's Bible, or, or instill that faith of what Christ is in your life and has been doing. We get to the heart of the issue for Timothy in verse 6. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. There was a moment as Timothy was traveling with Paul where Paul prayed for him. And God did a work in Timothy's life to bestow upon him spiritual gifts for the kingdom of God. But for some reason in Timothy's life, he had allowed these to become dormant. Now, from every indication, Timothy is still pastoring, he's still serving, he's still laboring, but there's something in his heart where he's just backing off of of God's call a little bit. You ever been there? Maybe you're saying, you know, I know that God has given me these gifts, I know that he's called me to these things, but for one reason or another, we we tend to kind of back off. We allow those gifts to, to go dormant. So this is the first thing that we want to be unashamed in tonight. It's unashamed service. Unashamed service. Now there's certain things that we should be ashamed of. Certain decisions that we make. Choices that we make. And we go, man, I do feel guilty for that. And I'm thankful for the forgiveness of the Lord. But then there's other things that you should never be ashamed of. You know? Like, I'm thankful that I'm married to my wife, Amber. I'm, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm proud of that, right? There's, there's those aspects that we go, no, that's not something I should be ashamed of. That's something I should be standing up in and rejoicing for. And the fact that God has given you spiritual gifts is something that you shouldn't be ashamed of. Unashamed about the fact that God in his grace has gifted you for his kingdom So to then choose to use those for God's glory. Why do our gifts go dormant sometimes? I think because of hurt. That's one of the ways the enemy gets us. We're hurt by other believers. So we say, I'm not going to serve in that way ever again. And God would want us to get to that place of forgiveness so that the gifts can be stirred up once again. Sometimes it's busyness. Our lives get consumed with busyness. And so we say, "Ah, no, I'm not going to serve in that way anymore. I'm not going to put that as a priority that God would use my life for for his glory. Sometimes it's fatigue, isn't it? We get burned out. We take on too much, more than what God has asked us to do. We, We misunderstand his voice and his calling. We let other people define that for us. And before you know it, fatigue just takes over burnout it's a it's it's a real thing and our gifts they they go dormant don't they for timothy we'll find in the next verse the reason was fear fear of suffering fear of imprisonment fear of death and fear can cause our gifts to go dormant but i believe that for some of us tonight this is exactly why we're here the holy spirit is saying it's time for your gifts to be stirred up again The ESV says, fan into a flame the gift of God which is within you. So you think of this little flame, and you fan it, you add fuel to it, and God is giving you these spiritual gifts, and now he wants you to stir it up. He wants to activate those those gifts. He wants to fan it into a flame. How does this happen? I think it happens through being honest with the Lord, David prayed things like, God, would you restore unto me the joy of my salvation? Would you renew a right spirit within me? And sometimes it's a conversation with God of saying, God, I have been running away from my calling. I have allowed the gifts to go dormant. And would you renew that spirit within me? Would you renew my love for you and for your kingdom and for for the lost? And our spiritual gifts are are not just used in this context, though they are. They're used as we live our life. You know, God may have given you the gift of faith. He wants you to use that in a lost and, and dying world. He may have given you the gift of mercy. He wants to use that in your neighborhood or your apartment complex. How many people have the gift of mercy at your workplace? Probably not too many. And for you to be able to walk in the gift of mercy... In your workplace and allow that conversation to happen with the Lord, to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to breathe on you and in you and in me again to say, come on, let's go. Use this gift for for God's glory. I believe God is most glorified and we're most satisfied when we use our gifts for his kingdom. Let me say that again. I think God is most glorified and you're most satisfied when you use your gifts for his glory. When we're not serving the Lord, when we're not in that place of service, when we're not surrendered to him, we know that there's something missing in our lives. But when we're using those spiritual gifts that he's given to us, it's our sweet spot. And we feel his pleasure. We feel his glory when those gifts are able to be used by the Lord. Unashamed service. Verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Picture Timothy, young, afraid, has some physical challenges, weeping, going through his life in a place of fear. Timothy is in that place. Paul knows it. And as any good father, he writes and says, God hasn't given you this spirit. You're not walking in the spirit of the Lord. You're walking in the spirit of fear. And that's what's keeping Timothy from using his gifts. God would want to change out the fear for the spirit of power, the spirit of love, and the spirit of a sound mind or or self-control. Love conquers all fear, doesn't it? When I know that I'm loved by God, I'm accepted by God, when I believe his eternal plan for my life, then I go through my days not in a place of fear, but in a place of acceptance. To be able to look at our own inadequacies and that fear of failure and say, I can walk in the power of God instead of that fear of failure. I'm sure for for some of us, the reason that we're not using the gifts that God's given to us is we're afraid. And God's saying, I want to replace that fear with my, my power, And then to have a sound mind, to have a mind that's given to self-control. What's one of the biggest ways that fear comes in and dominates us? It's by what we think. Our thoughts go in that worry direction, that anxiety direction, and worst case scenario direction. And instead of being in that place of worry, fear, and anxiety, we have a sound mind. We're thinking biblically or fixing our heart and mind upon the truth of of God's word. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Unashamed suffering. Unashamed service and unashamed suffering. Notice it says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. What's the testimony of Christ? The end of verse 1 says, or into verse 8, excuse me, says, according to the power, for the gospel according to the power of God. Christ's testimony is suffering. The cross is suffering. That's something we should never be ashamed of. Also, Paul's in prison. Many people turned their back on Paul just because he was in prison. The exhortation to Timothy is don't run for um, suffering connected to the gospel, but embrace it. Embrace it. God does his greatest work through suffering. He gets the attention of unbelievers when believers suffer for the gospel. I believe in the Middle East right now, there's great things happening in the kingdom. It's difficult for believers. Believers are suffering, but because of that, the power of God is being poured forth. And as you think about serving the Lord, if you think about stepping out in faith, in the back of your mind, if you're going, oh, it involves suffering. I don't know if I want to do this because my family may reject me. My neighbors may look down upon me. I could, I could lose my job. I don't know how I'm going to budget all of my time. I don't see the financial resources. Here's this long list of suffering. And here Paul's saying to Timothy and saying to us, it's worth it. God doesn't waste suffering, didn't waste the suffering of his son, didn't waste the suffering of the apostle Paul. A lot of people are probably looking at Paul's life going, what in the world? Here he is, the end of his life, he's in this dungeon. That's not what I want. That's not a successful life. That's not an effective life. But here, this is what Timothy is being called into, that willingness to suffer. Now this sounds good, but it's really hard to live. Come on, isn't it? I mean, who, who likes suffering? Who wants to sign up for for suffering? I don't like suffering. I don't sign up for suffering. I think all of us want our lives to, to be comfortable and to be, be peaceful, but we also desire a life that's used by God, don't we? We want to see people come to know Christ as their Savior and to be willing to embrace that suffering that comes with living for the gospel. I love verse 9 it says who saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. He saved us and he called us with a holy calling by his grace not by works. I think most of us tonight would agree that we're saved by grace through the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. But yet, we tend to think that we're called based on our works, or God uses us based on our works. So if I have a really effective prayer time, God's going to use me. If I have a really effective time in the Word, then God's going to use me. If I have a tremendous amount of faith, God's going to use me. But what does it say? God saves us and calls us according to His grace. The reason that God used Paul's life and saved Paul, because he's gracious. And he gave that grace to Paul in Christ before time began. So let's think about this in a logical theory type of fashion. If there's enough grace for God to save you completely, save me completely, fully forgive us, is there also then enough grace for God to use us? Absolutely, right? It makes sense. It's logical. Okay, God, you saved me. Then it's no big deal for you to be able to use me for your glory. I think this is really freeing and helps us to step out in serving the Lord. It's because it's not based on me. It's not God using me because of my works. It's based on his grace. It's based upon his goodness. Also, then when God does move and does do a tremendous work, we're quick to give God the glory. Right. It, it's not me, it's not my hard work, it's the Lord. He, he's doing this because he's gracious, and he loves to use weak and foolish things to confound the wise. Why do you think that God chose the nation of Israel? Was it because they were the strongest, the mightiest, the wisest, the most moral? In Deuteronomy 7, it tells us, I'll read it to you, this is Deuteronomy 7, it says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Quite a promise. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. So God just calls it like it is. He says, I chose you guys because you're the least, not because you're the most, but because the Lord loves you and because he He would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Oswald Chambers puts this truth this way. All throughout history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. He chose... And use somebody's only when they renounce their dependence on their natural abilities and resources. Did you catch that? In essence, God is longing to use people that will depend upon Him and give Him the glory. Go, God, would you use me in this situation by your grace for your kingdom? Would you give me the wisdom? Would you give me the strength so that you could be glorified? So it's unashamed grace. Unashamed grace. We have unashamed service, unashamed suffering, but unashamed grace. To be able to say, I don't need to be ashamed of the grace of God. It was given to me before time in Christ Jesus to be used by the Lord. Are you dreaming of being used by the Lord? Are you dreaming to touch people's lives for for eternity? God's given you the grace. He's given you the strength. We can trust that and trust in him. Verse 10 Speaking of this grace, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So God allowed this grace to be revealed at the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It was manifested at the coming of Jesus Christ. If you need encouragement tonight, here it is in verse 10. Who's abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He's abolished it. Done away with it. If you're in Christ, death has lost its sting. He's crushed death. He's brought victory over death and over the grave. To now for us, as believers, death is a graduation. Psalms 116, God says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. He sees death of Christians different than we do. He goes, oh, this is a homecoming. I'm bringing you home. He's abolished death. What an encouragement. And immortality to light through the gospel. What's the gospel? That Christ died for our sins, was buried, and risen the third day according to scripture. And because of that, we have immortality. We have eternal life. Our life here on this earth always reminds us that we're decaying. Psalms 103 talks about that we're like grass like a flower that very quickly withers. But through Christ, eternal life, that decay process has been defeated. Immortality, not subject to decay anymore. No dentists in heaven, no root canal bills, none of that stuff. Verse 11, to which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. God's appointed us to get this message out. Paul knew this in his life, and we should know it in our lives. God, you've given me this grace so that I could share this grace, share your goodness, share your love with others. Verse 11, for this reason, I also suffer these things. A commitment to share the love of Christ, to serve others, it is going to involve suffering. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. So Paul's encouraging Timothy to be unashamed about suffering. He says, I don't have any regrets. I don't have any shame in this suffering. For I know whom I've believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul says, I can rest in this. I rest because I know who who I've believed. I hope you know who you've trusted in. He's your good shepherd. He's the shepherd of your soul he's faithful, he's your anchor, you can trust him, you can trust him, I, I know whom I've believed, and also he's convinced, God, I've trusted this over to you, so I, I have peace. As you've served the Lord, maybe you look back and you go, I don't know if it was worth it, I don't know if the investment in that person, it didn't pan out the way that I thought it would, that was sure more painful than I would have anticipated, If I had to do it all over again, I don't know that I would. And that's not what Paul's doing. He's saying, man, I've trusted them to the Lord. I've trusted that season of my life to the Lord. And I know that God's able to keep it until that day, until his second coming. God takes care of what we put into his trust. But if we don't put it into his trust, then he doesn't take care of it. He's saying, okay, Eric, you want to take care of this on your own? Go for it. So the safest place for the things that we love is to be in the hands of Jesus. You love your spouse. You love your kids. You love those around you. Thankful for the ministry that God's given to you. Place it in God's hands. Amen? Because he's able to keep it. Don't have to look back. Don't have to be ashamed whether it turned out the way that we wanted it to or not. In verse 13, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith, in love, which are in Christ Jesus. Unashamed perseverance, number four. It says, Timothy, I want you to hold fast. I, I always think of rock climbing with that image. When you're, when you're rock climbing, your rock's your best friend. Yeah, there's a rope that's supposed to catch you, but you don't want to test that. You don't want to test that your buddy really did know how to set up the ropes correctly. You're, you're holding fast. There's some urgency here. Paul's writing to Timothy saying, You have received sound words, sound doctrine, good teaching, but you need to hold on to it in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Paul seems to understand the tendency to drift, the tendency to walk away from the Lord. And he's saying, Timothy, wake up every day and trust Christ. Walk with Christ, press into Christ, hold fast to Christ. It's unashamed perseverance. In verse 14, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. So here's Timothy wanting to walk away from his calling, wanting to walk away from the gifts that God had given to him. And he's being encouraged to persevere and to keep what the Holy Spirit had entrusted to him. The good things that the Holy Spirit's entrusted to you, keep them. Are there good things in your marriage that endeavor to keep them? Are there good things in your relationship with the Lord? Then endeavor to keep them. Is there good things in the way that God's using you? Then keep them. And notice how it says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Church, I've been reminded this week about the importance of the power of the Holy Spirit. On our weekend message on Saturday and Sunday, we're looking at Acts 1.8. And the Holy Spirit came upon them so that they shall be my witnesses. It was through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't live out a Christian life. We can't be witnesses. We can't keep the good things that God's trusted to us without the power of the Holy Spirit. To break this down, what does this mean on a simple level? It's to obey the Holy Spirit. We have moments throughout the day where we listen to God's Spirit. We follow the Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit. But then we have other moments where we don't listen to the Holy Spirit, where we grieve the Holy Spirit. We're not listening. More and more of the Christian life is simply being sensitive to having an ear for the Holy Spirit and saying, you lead me, you guide me, you direct me. What are you doing in this moment? And I want to keep those things. A lot of times in our lives, we pay a lot of attention of how do you get to a certain destination, but we don't put a lot of focus on how you stay there. What do I mean by that? So, make a lot of intentional effort to that moment of getting married. Now that you are married and you have been married for some time, how do you keep those good things that are are in your marriage? How do you stay married and enjoy being married to each other, right? We think of being used by the Lord maybe and getting to that place where God begins to use your life, but we don't put a lot of attention on Okay, how do, I, how do I stay in that place? Do you got good things going on in your workplace? God's given you favor. He's given you a good job. You're being a witness unto Jesus Christ. How do we hold on to those good things that God's entrusted? Why? Because as Americans, we're always looking on to the next thing, aren't we? We're always looking on to the next job, the next challenge, the next thing to climb. And there's something to be said about how do you hold on to the good things that God's entrusted to you? This you know, all those who dwell in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Pythilus and Hermogenes. This is quite a statement about Paul's life. Here he is at the end of his life, and he's saying, All in Asia have turned against him. Paul's in a lonely place. It appears because he's in prison, people are questioning him. Yet the Lord is with him, yet the Lord is standing with him. The Lord is fellowshipping with him. He lists two that had turned their back on him. In verse 16, going into verse 18, he gives an example of someone who does stand with him. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus. Just some great names. Just say that five times fast. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Please understand, not everybody is an Apostle Paul. Not everybody's called to be an Apostle Paul. Not everybody's gifted in that way. Paul had a very public ministry. Onesiphorus has a very private ministry. He's only listed in Scripture in this place. And he gets great commendation. And here he comes and he often refreshed the Apostle Paul. Everyone needs refreshment Even Apostle Paul. Though that Paul has the Lord, he's alone. He's in a dungeon and he needs another human being. He needs the body of Christ. He needs a brother or sister in Christ to come and refresh him. So you may not be an Apostle Paul, but you may be called to refresh somebody who is. So a lot of it is knowing your gifts and knowing what God has called you to do. Is one more important than the other? Absolutely not. Is one more valued to God than another? Absolutely not. Here's Anisiphorus. He comes and refreshes Paul. He's not ashamed of his chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. So we know Paul's imprisoned in Rome. As soon as Anisiphorus gets to Rome, he's like, I got to find Paul. I heard he's in prison here. I heard he's in a dungeon here. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. So not only had he ministered to Paul at Rome, but also in Ephesus when Paul was there, he refreshed him. I want to be known as a believer that refreshes other believers. You know, I I hope that as I spend time with other believers, that I can be an encouragement to them, that I can be a refreshment to them. I think Anisiphorus probably brought some tangible things that Paul needed when he was in prison. But most importantly, he brought some fellowship, he brought some companionship, brought some prayer. Maybe even had some good jokes. You know, the Apostle Paul probably needed to to laugh a a little bit. Gave him a little bit of, of perspective. So where does this text find you this evening? Have your spiritual gifts gone dormant. I want you to consider four questions with me. We're going to close. Would you say that your spiritual gifts have have gone dormant for one reason or another? You've been hurt. You've gotten busy. You're afraid. But you know in your heart where you go, you know what? I've just backed off a little bit. Now, if Timothy went through this, do you think that we will go through this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Have there been times in my life where I've allowed my spiritual gifts to get dormant? Absolutely. Have I backed off a little bit? Absolutely. Has the Spirit of God had to use the Word of God to say, come on, Eric, stir it up, press in, go for it, love love me, serve me, allow your gifts to be used by me? Yes. Yes. There are moments like that. And if you find yourself in that place... The enemy wants to keep your spiritual gifts dormant. And the Holy Spirit of God wants to use you. He wants to fan that flame of your gifts to be used to encourage believers and win unbelievers to Christ. Am I living in fear or power, love, and a sound mind? Again, do we bat 100% on this? Absolutely not. I've never met anybody that went through every day of their life in power, love, and a sound mind but I would sure like more of my days to be defined by power, love, and a sound mind. What spirit am I I walking in? What spirit am I living in? Am I willing to suffer for the gospel's sake? Am I holding back or shrinking away because I'm afraid of the suffering? Am I willing to suffer for the gospel's sake? And then do I know whom I believed? Can Can I trust the one in whom I'm believed? And may we leave tonight unashamed because of God is unashamed of us. He died upon the cross to claim us as his sons and his daughters. And for us inside of the grace of God to say, I'm going to be unashamed. I'm unashamed of service. I'm unashamed of suffering. Unashamed of the grace that He has given to me and unashamed perseverance. I'm going to continue to hold fast to the Lord. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, you know us. And though we can fool others, you know our hearts. And you know at times that we back away from our calling and back away from the gifts that you've given to us. But that's not the place we want to be. So would you stir within us the gifts that you've given to us? May we see new avenues to serve you inside the church and with unbelievers. Please remind us of your love, of your power. Would you grant to us the sound mind of self-control? Would you deliver us from fear? As we take communion tonight, we want to draw near to you. We've studied the written word, and you, Jesus, the living word, would you draw near to us? We desire to draw near to you. We thank you for your grace that saves us. We also thank you for that same grace that uses us.